people. We talked about uh, sexual immorality. We talked about the fact that our nation has lost its moral compass and the church has even compromised and lost its moral compass. We've talked about sexual morality. We've talked about lying. We've talked about homosexuality. We've talked about where is God amidst our trials. And, and this morning, I just want to conclude this with a topic of worldliness. All of this stuff is going to come under the same topic. Uh, it, it's, it's the fact that we're just connected too much to this world. Amen? Way too much to this world. Uh, and, and as I'm preparing this and as I'm looking at this, there, there's a mentality in all of us that tries to maintain a dual citizenship. You know, we, are, we know that we're saved and we know that we're children of God and we know that we are a part of the kingdom of God, but the fact of the matter is, is we try to carry a dual citizenship when it's convenient for us, we're children of God, and when it's not convenient for us, then we like to indulge a little bit in this world. And this morning, I just want to address that. If you turn to 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to answer the question, what is worldliness first and foremost? 1 John chapter 2. Everything that we've spoken thus far uh, will fall under this heading, and all of the things that could have been spoken about will fall under this heading. <laughs> so uh, we're going to, for the last time, talk about what is our true north in light of who we should be in light of worldliness. First John chapter two, verse fifteen says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." Stop there for just a minute. Worldliness, what is it? Basically, worldliness is an inordinate affection toward temporal things above the things of God. Amen. I'll say it again. Worldliness is an inordinate affection toward temporal things above the things of God. Basically, what that means is, is we've taken a love for something and we've placed it on God's throne where He belongs in our hearts. We've taken something that's created, something that's made, something that's a part of this world, and we've placed it upon the throne of God in our hearts where He should be dwelling and ruling and reigning. People say, well, Pastor Bob, this scripture, doesn't that contradict the word of God Himself, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Pastor Bob, doesn't, doesn't that contradict the word of God. God himself loves the world, but then we're being told not to love the world. Well, the fact of the matter is the same words are used, agape, and then cosmos. Agape for love, cosmos for the world. And both of them are used in the same passages. So what in the world are we talking about? How can God love the world and we aren't to love the world? And if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us, but God loved the world? What? That doesn't make sense. It does make sense. If you look at the words, obviously, agape, that's an unconditional love. That's a love, a compassionate mercy love that is driving God to provide a way of escape for the world. We know that. We know that God so loved the world that he gave. Gave what? Gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. We understand that because God had compassion on mankind, he gave his son. Now, who did he give his son for? Well, the world. Well, let's be a little bit more. That's, that's pretty general. Did he give his son for the squirrels? Because if he did, someday the roads are going to be covered with squirrels shooting alive at him at the rapture. That's not, that's not what God did. God didn't send his son to redeem the squirrel because the squirrels aren't lost, even though they act like it. And that's why they call some people squirrely. I've been called squirrely once or twice in my life. 
and it was usually in a lost condition. God did not send his son to save the trees and the, the whales and all these things are good and we should take care of our planet. Amen? We should. But the fact of the matter is, is that he sent his son to die for mankind because of our fallen condition, because of our sin. God so loved the world. In other words, God so loved the people, mankind of the world, that in their condition, the part of his creation that he designed, the one part of his creation that turned away from him and rejected him, he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to provide an avenue that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. That's love from God's standpoint. Now what John's saying is not to love the world unconditionally. You say, what does that mean? You are not supposed to delight in. You are not supposed to embrace. You are not supposed to look at the world and love it. Because in that sense of the world, it's not referring to us about people. Does God hate the people? Does God call us as Christians to hate the people? We're to love them. As God would love them. But we are not to love the things of the world. If you look a little bit further down, obviously in verses 16 and 17, it says this. It says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its despairs pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The things of this world, church, you say, well, what? I don't get what you're trying to say there. What our problem is, is that as human beings, God is perfect and God can look into this world and he can love us in our fallen condition. And he can provide an avenue of escape in our fallen condition and despise the sin, despise what it is that we're doing, provide an avenue. But for us, see, God's love is perfect. His, his unconditional love for His creation is perfect where God loves His creation as God would love His creation. God loves His creation. But the problem is, is mankind loves creation as His God. And church, all of the stuff we've talked about, the homosexuality, the lying, the sexual immorality, and you could go on and on and on and on and on with the list and it would be exhaustive and drive us all crazy. But the, the truth of the matter is the idolatry is this, that if we take this world and the things that are in it and we apply it to our lives and we embrace it and love it and, and make it our God, the love of the Father is not in us. Because the things of this world, the stuff we're supposedly turned away from, God despises those things and sent His Son to cleanse us from those things. So to hold on to God with one hand, like we always talk about, and hold on to the world with the other, and at different times we're closer to each one depending on what we want, then our problem is, is that the love of the Father is not in us if we are still looking at these things and embracing them, accepting them, and saying it's okay, it's not a problem, I can do this and I can do that, and I know God's Word says this is wrong, but church, if we've heard God's Word say it's wrong and we still delight in it, the love of the Father is probably not in us. You still love your pastor? Amen. But Pastor Bob, we all fall and fail in sin. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you have to delight in it. Amen. There are times in my life where I've fallen and failed miserably and I, and I can guarantee you that I cannot run back to my sinful life and delight in it. My flesh came up on me yesterday. I was going to kill somebody. <laughs> April, April says you have anger issues. I said, I know that. Pastor Sam defended me. He said, if you had anger issues, you'd have followed through with it. And I said, thank you. 
I had a man mock me yesterday because I was a pastor. He was drunk. He's full of himself. Hey, pastor, hey, preacher, why don't you come preach to me, preacher? And he kept going and kept going, and I thought, buddy, I'm going to give you something in about two seconds. I'm going to send you, I'm not going to talk to you, I'm going to send you to see Jesus yourself. Breathe in, breathe out, old carnal nature coming up and down. But I can tell you this much, I don't miss that church. I, I, that, that disgusts me, I don't hate that person. But I, I left that place, I left that situation grieved for all those around me that are so engrossed in this world and in love with it. Amen. You say, what a judgmental thing. Absolutely not. My heart is broken for them. That young man that filled his life, his, his, his stomach with alcohol, he's trying to fill up something that Jesus can only fill. And he's looking for some kind of joy and a pleasure that this world has given him as a false pleasure that's absolutely false, church. He's going to find no pleasure in that. He's not going to find any peace in that. It, later on, his high is going to wear off. He's going to urinate the alcohol out of his body along with the money he spent on it. And pretty soon he's going to wake up and think, I need a little bit more. There's no peace in that. And that's the lie of the enemy. People have bought into it. And unfortunately, the church has bought into it. The church nationwide has bought into this world and, and has, has got on board with it and, and compromised the message and compromised things for people. And church, listen, we've been called to separate ourselves from this world. Now, it doesn't mean we can't leave it. You know, we have to build a convent and we all live there. It means that our lives and the things that we delight in, we cannot delight in this world. We cannot be like Lot's wife, who when she left uh, Sodom, got halfway away, and because she delighted and because she loved the things that were burning up behind her, she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt church. We cannot repent like Lot's wife. We have to leave it. We have to leave it behind. So this morning... I want to look a little bit at the word cosmos. And what does the word world mean? It means cosmos in the Greek. And this is what it means. The world system, our governance, our financial institutions, the stars, the universe, the earth, the people of the earth, mankind in general, the ungodly, the hostile toward God, earthly goods, riches, pleasures, or anything that steals from God. That is what the word cosmos means. When he says to not love the world, he's saying to not love or put our hope and dependency or our faith in our world systems, in our governance, in our financial institutions, in the stars, in the universe, the earth, the people of the earth, mankind in general, the ungodly, the hostile toward God, earthly goods. Don't put your hope in riches. Don't put your hope in pleasures or anything that steals from God. That's what that's saying to us today. Because all of those things are of the world. Now, I want to, if you turn to Genesis chapter 10, I want to explain a little deeper where this term cosmos and where this term the world is coming from. People always say, well, you're not supposed to be a part of the world. Well, the fact of the matter is we've got to live here, folks. And, and we have to be in it because we're called to influence the world. As Christians, we're to take the gospel to the world. The drunk guy the other day that I wanted to punch, I shouldn't have felt angry. I should have went and shared the gospel. He said, come preach at me, preacher. And after I was going out to do the wedding, this person wasn't a part of the wedding, but as I was going out to do the wedding that I was going to do, on the way out walking out there, I'm thinking, you know, I should have taken five minutes and shared the gospel with him. He said, you asked for it. But I was so angry. 
Aren't we, aren't we pathetic, folks? Well, of course, you're going to yell at me for being a pastor? Shouldn't I expect that from people that are drunk? I would assume. But this is where this whole system started. Genesis chapter 10. We know that Noah, in the days of Noah, that all the minds of men, their hearts were on evil always, and God flooded the earth, cleansed the earth. Noah and his family escaped. Noah comes out of the ark. And listen, there, there was not other people. It was just Noah and his family, okay? Don't believe the television show that had Lot and uh, all these people attacking the ark and pirates trying to get Noah off of television, all right? Did anybody see that? It was absolutely ridiculous. The funniest thing I've ever watched in my life. That didn't happen. There was no dinghy, there was no fishing boat that could survive that flood. God made one ark of safety. Hallelujah. One ark of safety. Does that stick in your head? There's only one ark of safety for the flood that's coming to this world, and his name's Jesus Christ. There's only one ark. And Noah was on it, and he gets off, and his sons, and, and here we go. Uh, his son Ham sees Noah drunk, and he goes in, and he comes out and tells his brothers about his nakedness, and then his brothers go in and cover him, so then Ham's, Ham's cursed. And these are his descendants Verse 8 of Genesis chapter 10, Cush was the father of Nimrod. He grew to be a mighty warrior in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I love sometimes how the Bible clarifies things. But The first centers of his kingdom, now listen close, the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh. Raboth-ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. If you look closely, you see some things here that are very clear, and you recognize some names. Babylon, you recognize Shinar, you recognize Nineveh. Nineveh obviously was the place where God sent Jonah to go to minister to Nineveh. It was in the kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrians hated the Jews, hated Israel. And, uh, and everybody said, well, Jonah shouldn't have been so mean. Look, he said, now God destroy him. Well, duh. You know what the, the normal, and I know I've shared this before, is that the Assyrian way of torturing their people, their, uh, they were evil, they hated the Jews, is they would pin them out and stretch them out on the ground and skin their families alive. Now you tell me, would you not want God to destroy him? But Jonah said, hey, God, destroy him. We're no different than we were back in 9-11. Oh, God, wipe them off, off all off the face of the earth. It's only been 10 years, folks. The truth of the matter is, is right here we see the center of all this, Babylon, which is the nation, which is the, the kingdom that Israel and Judah were pulled out to when they were taken captive. This nation, this mentality of, of, of who they are. If we move on to Genesis chapter 11, as you're turning there, Nimrod's name. Do you know what Nimrod's name in the Hebrew means? Rebellion. You want to know where organized rebellion started against God? It started with Nimrod. You say, but Pastor Bob, Cain. Yeah, yeah, I know Cain. But this is the first place in the Bible, we had to get 11 chapters in now, where we see the first account of an, an organization, a cosmos, a design well, against God of rebellion. Look here, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and make them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Everybody say ourselves. With a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Everybody say ourselves. And not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Don't you like 
We already know what happens. We know God comes down, confuses their language, scatters them throughout the earth. Isn't it funny how they have an attitude, a mentality that knows that if I continue on this path of rebellion that I'm on, God's going to scatter through the whole earth, but they were still determined to not let it happen? Isn't that the mentality of the world to know that judgment is coming and still defy it and still try to find another way around it? You say, well, Pastor Bob, that's really mean uh, for God to get upset for him just building simply a city. But the cities were built to glorify themselves. We already know that Nimrod, his great-grandfather Noah, through all that that happened, there was bitterness from Ham all the way down, and Nimrod took it serious, folks. And he said, you know what? I don't need God. I defy Him. And as a matter of fact, if He's going to try to flood this earth again, I'm going to build me a tower so tall that even if He floods the earth, we'll be above the waters, and He can't even kill us if He wants to. First of all, He didn't know the Word of God. First of all, he knows that God is on us and God speaks and puts a bone in the sky and says, I'm not going to flood the earth with water again. But the mentality of the world, the mentality of cosmos, the mentality that started at the Tower of Babel and still lives today is that God either doesn't exist or he's a liar. You see that? And they said, you know what, God? I'm going to find my own way. You can't kill me. I'm going to minimize you. You can't do anything to me. And they build this culture out of rebellion. And they say, you know what? There's not anything you can do for me, God. I'm going to do it myself. Self-sufficiency. Listen, I'm going to say this again later, but God didn't call us to build kingdoms. He called us to build altars to Him. Are you saying cities are wrong and bad? No. I'm saying that this city, this mentality, Babylon, as we know all throughout Bible history, has always been pointed to as the enemies of God. And why is it the enemies of God? Because the mentality that the foundations were set upon were set upon rebellion against Him. And not only that, secondly, the towers that were built after this time period historically, and you can go through, through uh, geology stuff and everything else, the fact of the matter is, is that for, for the, the civilization's Following this, it was common to have these towers. And at the top of these towers, there was usually an idol. An idol. Scholars believe that this tower of of Babel was the first one that established not only a defiance of God, but also to establish a worship of the stars, stargazing. Gods of the stars, getting me closer to the heavens, building this tower to the heavens, not only in defiance toward God, but to establish and build a stargazing attitude astrology. You see, church, the mentality of our world today is no different than that of Babel, which later became Babylon. I'm going to build myself something, and I'm going to build it in the honor of me. And I'm going to establish myself in this world. And I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to make my own path regardless of what this God has said. I'll sin against him because I don't really care. And when it comes down to it, it's all going to be okay. That's the mindset of our world. That's the mindset of the drunken man yesterday. Mocking the preacher that has the words of life in his mouth. Mocking the preacher that knows the Spirit of God. Mocking the individual that himself has come out of alcohol. Mocking the preacher that himself has been steeped in sin. Mocking the preacher and himself thinking that he's going to make his own way. And I myself have only turned to Christ. My message this morning, church, is now that we know where the world has started, we're going to see it progress to the end times here. And I'm telling you that it does not end well for for cosmos. It does not end well for cosmos. For the world. 
If you will turn to Revelation chapter 16, I'll get there in just a second. But today, ancient Babylon only exists as ruins. Ancient Babylon only exists as ruins. Did you know that Saddam Hussein was actually uh, rectifying and rebuilding those ruins? Did you know that he was restoring those ruins? Ancient Babylon is basically just ruins today. And it's in Iraq. But Babylon's still alive and well, folks. Anytime you read, anytime you read books of prophecy, anytime you read the book of Revelation, and it makes a reference to Babylon, it's easy for us, to our minds, to just establish and think that God's talking about a city. When the fact of the matter is, is God's talking about cosmos. God's talking about the systems. He's talking about the governance. He's talking about the economy, all the things that make up everything that this world, the people are so drawn to. Babylon. Everybody says, oh, Babylon the Great has fallen. We're thinking of a city. It's the system, folks. It's the system, as we're going to read right here in Revelation 16. We see it, it speaks of our idolatry and debauchery, it speaks of our dependence on our economy and our wealth, it speaks of our lust for sexual immorality and luxury, it speaks for our mockery for God's word and our glorification of the wisdom of man. That's what it's referring to when it's speaking of Babylon. Revelation 16 verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Look at me if you will. If you see this, it talks about the cities of the nations collapse. And then it makes a reference to Babylon. It's the cities, folks. And, oh, good, we live in the country, Pastor. Oh, no, 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 no. Easy, fellas. Don't get too excited and think my little house out in the country is not going to be hit by this. The things that are connected to this world and that we put our hope and trust and faith into the systems of this world is going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. And I'm not going to give you some kind of a rule that says you've got to dress this way or you've got to dress that way or if you've got to drive a horse and buggy or anything else. But listen to me very plainly. I'm telling you today that if we put our hope and our faith and our all in all into this world, we are going to be sadly, sadly disappointed, folks. Revelation 18, turn over there and I'm going to do something that people say don't do, which is read almost two chapters of Scripture with you today. Why in the world should I pick out one verse and let my word speak to you when we can have God's word do it? Revelation 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel come down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay back 
double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Can you hear the Tower of Babel in that? We build a name for ourselves, God. We've established luxury. We defy you. We're going to do things our own way. Church, I'm here to tell you that we are on a sinking ship of titanic proportions. You say, why do you say titanic? Because the creator of the titanic, the builder, said not even God himself can sink this ship. And the mentality of this culture and this world has got the same mentality and the same attitude. Just a few years back, I heard an economist say, our economy will never fail. It cannot fail. Why did he have to say that? He said, well, it's not going to happen because we won't go through another Great Depression because back in the Great Depression, we've gone 100 years and we're a whole lot smarter now than we were back then. And we would never let that happen today. As we give away how many trillions of dollars? Defiance. Hope in this. And in one day, folks, it's all going to be gone. One day. Your house won't be here. Your car won't be here. This church won't be here. I hope to God I'm not here. Your phone's not going to be here, folks. Your cell phone, your precious cell phone that consumes all your time is not going to be here. Your computer that you gossip and slander people on on Facebook is gone and be gone. You need to get your face out of Facebook and get your face in the book. Amen? It's true. All of it's going to be gone. The Colts will not play a game. It's going to be gone. Nobody's going to be Super Bowl champs someday. Nobody's going to win the World Series. There's not going to be a March Madness anymore. It's just going to be madness, folks. It's going to be over. It's all going to be gone. And what are we going to be standing left with? What's going to be gone when this world passes away? Your soul is going to stand before a holy God. That's it. Pastor Bob, this isn't the type of worldliness message I thought you were going to teach about against rock and roll and drugs and alcohol and stuff. Traditionally, I thought we were supposed to wear dresses and put our hair up in a bun. No. I'm telling you that this world, if you are too rooted and grounded and attached in it, you might suffer the same fate. The Word of God says, come out from among them. And God says that Babylon's sins have been built up to me. He's seen them. They're built up just like a tower. And he says, I see what you're building, folks. Trust me, here in a little bit, I'm going to come down and deal with it. Oh, God. Verse 9, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Whoa, whoa, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and of olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and bodies and souls of men. They will say the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The kings are going to weep. Because their power has been taken away. 
All of those that are in authority, that control, that move and shape our economy, that move and shape everything, folks, it's all going to be gone someday. We cannot put our hope in that. Hollywood, trying to mold and shape our youth, trying to mold and shape you, and trying to direct even our government, is all going to be gone someday. It's all going to be gone. Verse 15. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors, and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, great city, where are all... All who, all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Folks, I'm telling you, this, this world, this cosmos, this culture that we have, can you get wealthy in it? Just like these individuals, they got wealthy in it. And then when it was gone, they said, whoa. That's not like a whoa. It's more of a who. Some people are like, whoa. No. Fire. Get the weenies. No, that's not what they're saying. Listen, there's a mentality. How many people who have been gifted by God, called of God, raised up of God, that right now have moved into the Hollywood industry and have compromised themselves and lowered their standards for money? Who have turned away from the gospel and have pursued riches and glory and all these things, and in one day it's gone. It's gone. Every ounce of it's gone, folks. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care what you buy. I don't care what you invest in. Your car is going to be gone someday. Your home is going to be gone. All the nice shirts and the nice clothes and everything else that you have, the jewelry is all going to be gone. Your satellite television is going to be gone someday. All of it. You think Elvis Presley would have understood that message? You'd think that Amy Winehouse would have understood that message. Instead of going into rehab, she wrote a song mocking the idea, and now she's dead. You'd think Jimi Hendrix would have understood. You would think Marilyn Monroe would have understood. The list could go on and on, folks, but how many people have lost their lives because they have bought into Cosmos for the money that was offered to them and one day it was gone? One day. One day. We see in verse 20, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all over it, all of it, but we see rejoice over her. O heaven, rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Simply this, put, folks, there are those that are going to mourn and there are those that are going to rejoice at the loss of cosmos. Tell me, are you so connected to this world that the fact that it might all day some way pass, some, someday pass away, does that make you turn in your spirit? Does that make you afraid? Does that make you feel ashamed? Does that make you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't lose all this stuff in this life that I'm here to tell you that you have fallen in love with the world and the love of the Father probably is not in you. Don't throw anything at me. I say this to myself. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. I'm going to do a little bit more reading and then we're stopping on the reading. I'm going to close this out. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. We see direction from Paul. Paul. <clears throat> where we've got to come out from among them and there's a difference 
in those that are genuinely saved and how they act versus those that have, have, have embraced some type of religion and still live in this world and embrace and delight in this world. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God, excuse me. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of purity or of greed because there are, these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. I know that's a mouthful. I know I read it really fast. This is just a small segment of Scripture of God reminding us the importance of holiness. The separation from this world, uh, to not be like the world, not conforming to the world, not because we're better than them, but because we're saved and we're children of God and we've been cleansed and we don't need to be a dog that returns to its own vomit. And we don't need to be a, a hog that's been cleaned up and to go wallow again in the mud. God's not called us to do that, folks. We aren't to repent, as I said, like Lot's wife, to run away and then look back in longing and delight so that God would destroy us. That's not what we've been called to. But this scripture does not conform to the, the ideas and mindset of cosmos. It doesn't do that. It says that we should not have even a hint of sexual immorality. That it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in, in private. You don't have to mention it anymore. All you have to do is turn on the television set. And everything that should be private is right in front of our house, in front of our kids, in our living room, in front of our faces. Things that should never be mentioned. Things that should never be done. Turned on the television yesterday, and it was on a channel. I was flipping to go to look for a football game, and lo and behold, a half a second on a show, I see a guy put his foot on somebody and pull the trigger on his head. And that's not cable television. I have antenna. We're crying out loud. Half a second. Our kids don't need to see that nonsense. That's not even, that's not even, that's shameful to even mention. Our standards have got to line up with the Word of God and not according to what Cosmos says is okay because they're in rebellion. Their father's Nimrod. And before we get too proud of ourselves, my father was Nimrod too before my father became God. I was saved out of this world, folks. And so were you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Rebellion was once your father, and now your father is love. Zamber comes. 1 John 2 again. Verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
The world and its desires all pass away, church. It's passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever, and that's my desire today. How many of us want to live forever? I do not want to be attached to this world when it all goes down, folks. I don't want to have my feet so deep in the soil, this ground, that this is where I'm at when it all goes down. I don't want that. I've been there before, and it's not pretty, and it's not fun. Seniors, grandparents, if you're here this morning, I want to share this with you. What we need from you in light of this subject of holiness and worldliness and what the difference is, we don't need to set standards of how we should dress. We don't need dresses. and all. I understand modesty. We're teaching modesty. But, but if somebody comes to you and says, how do I be holy? The, you don't need to tell them that they've got to have a long sleeve shirt and a dress and their hair a certain way and no makeup. That's not what we're looking for. I say that in love because I realize you, many of you came out of that and there's a tendency to run back to that a bit. But what we need is your experience. We need your love. We need what you have overcome. We need your stories of how God has been faithful in the hard times. What we need from you is a clear understanding of the gospel that can look somebody in the eye and show them the truth, black and white, what it is, because I know you have it. There was a time when black and white teaching like this was taught regularly. And I know you have that. We need that today from you. Parents, in light of this worldliness thing, we need you to invest in yourselves and your children. You say, why do you say that? Because when our kids can recite every word to every Justin Bieber song, every Selena Gomez song, every Taylor Swift song, and we know all of the Disney characters and all the pop stars and all this stuff, and we know all that in our heads, and our kids can recite that like that. And all they can tell you is John 3.16 out of the scripture. We have failed them miserably. What we have done is we've connected them to cosmos. And we have minimized God in their sight. What we've done is we've built a tower of Babel before God with our kids tucked away in the inside of it. In love with this world. And coming to church once a week and act like it's not a big deal. Listen to me folks. You can look me in the eye and you say, Pastor Bob, how dare you say anything about Justin Bieber? How dare you say anything about Selena Gomez? How, about, how dare you say anything about Taylor Swift or anybody else? How dare you say that? They're not evil. They're not teaching them anything bad. There's some positive things in those songs. That's fine. If they want to listen to a little bit, that's your decision. But don't you dare let them grow up through their teen years without knowing the Word of God. You're destroying them. You're setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for being those that will say, whoa, whoa, on the day that all these things around them are going to destroy. Selena Gomez is not going to be here forever, folks. One of these days she's going to be old, dried, and wrinkled up too. And when these people behind desks stop pushing her stuff, it's not going to be so famous anymore. But your kids are buying into a picture and a dream and things that they want. Young person, I'll tell you something else too. In light of the worldliness, it's all going to fade away. Your cell phone's going to be gone. Your internet's going to be gone. Your pure, perfect clothes is all going to be gone. And, and someday your perfect little body's all going to be gone too. You're going to get old. You're going to get wrinkly. And someday you're going to die then what are we going to have? The moments, the day-to-day dramas and moments in life where people will talk and slander and gossip and the fighting, the drama and the nonsense of this world. You walk through the schools, the halls over there, that's what my, anybody that was at lunch with me would always say. I'd sit down and say, what's the drama today? Let it go, man. Don't, be, don't indulge into it. Don't connect yourself to it. Get away from it. You have been called of God. You are light and you are not to be living in darkness. Holiness 
worldliness. Don't allow yourself to be so connected that you would compromise. Pastor Bob, we got to live in the world. I realize that, and I'm going to close it out with this thought. Do you know that one year ago, August 3rd or 5th, does anybody know what happened? 2010, August 3rd or 5th? The Chile, Chilean miners were trapped three miles under the earth. The mine had been all these things again. They said it was dangerous. It was like 100 years old, and they just kept digging and kept working, and they, they knew it was dangerous, and these men, because they, they had to feed their families, and they had needs and wants and things that they had to do. Every day, they would go down into the mine. They would work. And they'd say, I'm just going to go down here. I know it's dangerous. I'm going to be here for a little while, and then I'm going to come back up. And then I'm going to go back. It's going to be dangerous. I'll be there for a little while, and I'll come back up. And what happened? The earth shook, and the cave closed. <clears throat> And there were 33 of them stuck three miles in the earth, which should have been their grave, surrounded by darkness. And the things that they had once been familiar with in that cave, in, that, in, in digging in that, that tunnel, now all of a sudden they began to loathe it. The darkness, the entrapment, the bondage, they can't get out. Now we're stuck here. What are we going to do? And we know there were a lot of great stories of how they encouraged each other. But the fact of the matter is, is all of them wanted to get out and they never wanted to come back again. And then there was a grinding noise. 69 days they were in there. And there was a grinding noise. And it got louder. And it got louder. And it got louder. Until all of a sudden, out pops the first drill bit. And they take a hammer and they're like, ding, ding. Ding, they're counting them off. How many are there and how many alive? And they're so excited, sending the message up, saying, we're here, we're here, come save us. We're sick of this, come get us. We're stuck here, save us. Ding, ding, counting off 33 of them. But then the bit went back up. And it was this big around. And they sit there until they heard a grinding again. Deeper, louder grinding as they heard it grinding closer and closer and closer, a noise that was so loud, it was almost agonizing until finally the bit pops through that was big enough to send down the escape pod. The escape pod drops and they look at it and they open the door and get in. Folks, we have people in our church, in our community that live the exact same way as these miners do. Every single day of their lives, they go out of the light into the darkness for just a little bit because they've got something they've got to do. Something that I want to do. Something I have to do. And I'm going to go. And I know it's dangerous, Pastor Bob. I realize it's dangerous, but I'm going to come back. When the time's right, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come out. And then all of a sudden, it all closes off. The earth shifts. Their world becomes dark. And they're stuck in a bondage. Stuck in a bondage of alcoholism. I just wanted a little drink here and I just want to have fun with my friends. I just wanted a social life. I wanted all this stuff. Oh, now I'm stuck in this and now I'm stuck in sexual immorality. I'm stuck in lying. I, I, I started this lie and deception. Now I'm stuck in it. And my friends, I got to tell you this. If you want to know Jesus Christ, you have to first loathe and hate the place that you are in. Because if you don't hate it and you delight where you're at, you're going to come right back to it. And there's no point in saving you to begin with. But I'm telling you this morning, there's a grinding in your spirit. There's a grinding in your soul. The Spirit of God is doing a penetration into your heart. 
that's starting to tap on your door and saying, remember this that you're dealing with that's hidden? Remember this that's hidden? Remember this that's going on? Pastor Bob's talking about worldliness and you've embraced and delighted in all this stuff that we've talked about. This thing right here, it's poking your heart, my friend. Will you stand with me this morning? It's poking your heart. How do I know it's poking your heart? Because I know the God that gave me this message. And I know that this world is very enticing to us. And I know it's easy to run into. And I know it's easy to indulge in. But I'm telling you, if you continue to indulge, there's going to come a day where it becomes an entrapment. But I can also tell you that there's a bigger grinding that's taking place. The Spirit of God has created a way of escape for you through Jesus Christ. And when those miners had that escape pod come down before them and that gate was there, they had a decision. Am I going to open that door and step in and leave this place or am I going to remain where I'm at? And I'll tell you what nobody did. Nobody came down in the escape pod and said, hey guys, um, if you'd like to, we can take you out of here. If anybody wants to, any givers or takers, if everybody would close their eyes and bow their heads, we'll find out if anybody would like to come and get into this and be out of here, and I guarantee you that they're all fighting back the urge to run to that thing and jump in it because they didn't want to look like a fool in front of their friends. What I'm not going to do this morning is bow heads, close eyes. I'm telling you right here, God's not called us to build kingdoms. He's called us to build altars. And if there's darkness in your life, you're trapped in something, you need deliverance now is the time. You need to be here. The window's open. This is it. This is it. Any takers? Anybody that's brave enough to say, Pastor Bob, I have allowed myself to indulge in some darkness. And the, the Spirit of God has directed and begin to confirm some things in my heart that says this right here in my life, I need to take to God and the light needs to expose it and it needs to be purged from my life. Because this world is going to pass away. Gentlemen, your pornography is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. Your hidden alcohol, your sexual addictions, it's all going to be gone someday. Any other takers that say, I'm going to run to the escape pod? This is a really hard altar call, Pastor Bob. Isn't it though? But it shouldn't be. If you're struggling in your spirit, I just encourage you to come now because this is the day of deliverance right now. These individuals up here, whatever they're coming up here for, are being delivered right now and you should rejoice for them. Because this is an eternal impact that's taking place right now, before your very eyes. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is opening up and hearts are being touched. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is celebrating because people are recognizing their great need for their Savior. And they're putting behind this world. They're leaving it behind them. There's no rules. There's no regulations anybody's giving them. The Spirit of God is drawing them to Christ right now. Is there anyone else? Are we going to be like Nimrod? And say, that's all right, Pastor, I'll dig my way out of here myself. It's fine, these altars are open then. If anyone would like to come seek God for whatever reason, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for us to cry out to God. He's not called us to build our own kingdoms and glorify ourselves. This is a moment where we can come and just glorify the Lord. I encourage you to come and seek God with us this morning. Praise you, Lord Jesus.